Hi guys, welcome back to the Earthy Delights podcast. Um, today we have um, a special podcast, just Jim and I, um, kind of going back to our roots. Um, but we're going to be talking about um, what we've been seeing recently in in the news and the worldwide um, movement of Black Lives Matter, and, and you know, kind of the flashpoint of the George Floyd um, uh, murder and. Basically, what we're going to do, guys, for people who are listening, we're not going to talk about the black experience or how it feels to be a victim of racism, because obviously Jim and I could never do that justice. But what we are going to talk about is how how it's made us feel as as white males um, and white people and and what we think we could you know personally and as a, as a white society do better um to help to help the fight against racism and to really make a um a, a permanent and substantial change um and, and to make sure that this moment in time is something that we can look back on in in, in decades and and say that we were there and we did the right things and and, and led to a, a better society um but before we get on with any of that obviously we have to start off with what's the crack so jim what is the crack how are we doing What's the crack, buddy? The crack is all right, man. Um, this week has obviously been quite uh, unique, I guess. Strange, mm. emotional, um, draining. Uh, I actually started a new job as well, so that's been taking a lot of my time. And then trying to really um, think think about how I could best contribute uh, to this situation. And, of course, I want to do this podcast. Um, and and I'm just trying to think. I'm just like we were talking yesterday about how we could best do this podcast. And this is it. This is it. All we want to do is and tr- like we acknowledge that we can make some sort of an improvement on a personal level, and you know, with people that we know. Um, and we had a good chat yesterday, and I'm looking forward to having this chat um, today. What's the crack with you, buddy? Yeah, no, exactly the same. Echo those those sentiments. I mean, like we said, this podcast in in some ways is the same as every other podcast, be it in the sense that, you know, all we're doing is we're having this conversation to promote others to have the same kind of conversation within their own homes, within their own kind of friendship groups, which is what we do with every topic, I guess, that we we have on this podcast. It's the fact it's the reason why we started this podcast, right? Um, is to kind of bring quote unquote taboo topics into the light and to make them more to make them less taboo, basically, and, and, and obviously raise racism has become a huge um, what has always been i guess a, a huge taboo topic amongst um in, in the white in the white society um yeah man it's been difficult i mean i've i've uh you know having luckily i, I grew up with uh, um, loads of nigerians and, and so i kind of from a very young age had had seen um what it means to be black in britain and had seen racism at play um but then you get these flashpoints right and i think it's especially as white people it's easy to forget about it because again it doesn't affect us on our day-to-day lives and then you get these flashpoints that it just kind of brings those previous experiences that i've had kind of to the fore again and you know obviously i've been speaking to my friends and you know i spoke to michael who people who listen to the podcast will be familiar with you know guy who we've had him on as a guest and he's also the genius who's done all of our artwork and it's the the pain um when when while when i was talking to him in fact it took him a couple of days i know i reached out straight away um because i wanted to get his thoughts on on the on the whole thing and and we've spoken about race before and in fact we planned to have him on as a guest at one point and um, we're not sure whether that will happen or not, but you know, um, 
he actually didn't want to talk to me for a couple of days just because he was trying to process it all. Um, that's mm. how much, you know, it affected him, obviously. Um, and then when we did have a conversation, I think it was a very good conversation to have. And, and he, you know, he kind of, um, it was his idea to do this podcast in the sense of to, for me and you to do it because I reached out to him and I asked him if he had any, recommendations for maybe people within his community who he thought would be good guests who could talk eloquently and explain you know points to maybe a white listenership who maybe doesn't really reflect on those points so much and and he gave me a few names and we'll be reaching out to those people and hopefully get some of them on in 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 the future but he also said i really would recommend just you and jim doing something um to which i was at first really skeptical because it's kind of the classic you know all oh, right yeah two white guys talking about racism you know you see it all the time i watch this show called the sunday supplement and they uh it's about football and um it's like a debate show every sunday and they just talk about like the weekly topics and every now and again obviously women's football comes up and it's the same thing you have like a a table a round table of like five 50 year old white men talking about um sexism within football and it kind of just always seems a bit off right yeah. and so my initial reaction and i think yours and, and many white people's initial reactions to this is that oh i don't want to talk about it. it's not my place to talk about it you know so on and so forth and uh and 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 the more i spoke to michael and the more i reflected on what he said it became apparent that first and foremost it's not a black problem it's a white problem that's first thing um you know uh secondly this won't the racism won't be solved or there won't be any fundamental change unless white people get on board because ultimately white people are the ones that you know in, in the systems that we live in are the ones who mainly by and large are in the in power and so if we aren't ready to relinquish that power and maybe to relinquish some of our right white privilege then in some respects it's almost futile um just letting you know um the black population across the world fight on their own they need to we need to fight with them and and then he said and and it's true he said you know maybe you having a conversation can with jim you can talk about what the white experience within racism you know what you've seen what you've heard since you've you know were uh, since you were little basically and and you don't need a black person to tell you those things because obviously we've we've seen and heard those things you know firsthand and we know what some white people think and, and and say um and maybe we can use our own white privilege to have a conversation that maybe a listener who let's say is racist or of a racist persuasion might not listen to a, a black guest but they might listen to us on the pure basis that we're white which is obviously we don't condone but if, if that's something that's the truth which i'm sure it is in some cases then we should definitely use our white privilege in this way so yeah it's going to be a hard conversation to have but i think you know the all the more necessary really um just to put in yeah. uh when you said that michael had to take a few days to process it mm. i saw a tweet maybe five days ago that really knocked on this this difficulty uh, about being being like the tweet said something i'm paraphrasing something like being black in the states or just being black here is is seeing this uh is having a good day and seeing someone of your race being choked to death because of their race, and then you have a choice. You have a choice to uh, process it, like what Michael was doing, which takes a lot of time. It's incredibly draining. Mm. Or you start to become numb to it, which I'm sure other people are. And like to be honest, man, I'm sure like a lot of people are because it's just happening all the time. Mm. Like it's, um, 
and that that's something that I just had to say also like it, it's it, you have to make it, it's like a decision because it's it's real difficult to go okay I need to process this I need to process what just happened because I think now we're just getting so numb to such such violence such racism such like such calamities that we a lot we often just become numb yeah sure. I, I, and and also it brings up previous personal experience right i'm sure you know traumatic um traumatic events kind of resurface you know um i I wrote about it in an article in that kind of a piece that i put on the earthy lights podcast which is called an oyembo uh an oyembo's experience with racism oyembo is a nigerian word for like white people which is what i kind of was affectionately known as like their oyembo little brother in the boarding house right um and and there were some instances which i think i just want to like point out quickly here um because obviously some people might not have read the read the article but you know for example for someone like michael i mean the boarding school was a kind of survival of the fittest situation and and i wouldn't have changed changed my experience for the world i loved it and it's made me who i am today and i've made such great friendships that remain to this day from from living in the boarding school right um but there's certain aspects of the boarding school which i think people who maybe didn't go to a boarding school don't appreciate i think people think in general that like a boarding school is just like a, a place for a bunch of posh rich toffs and and we have everything served on a platter to us um but when you kind of start at boarding school jim you're you're basically at the mercy of anyone who's older than you anyone who's in a year group that's older than you and as you know you know when you start and you're 11 years old like 16 year olds they look like giants um you know and um and so you know you would kind of it's bullying looking back on it's bullying but i mean it's just what the culture you just had to go through it so i for example would always get called pudding for being like a bit chubby and you know they would pin you down if they felt if they felt like it not all the time but if they felt like it they'd pin you down chest up you petrol pump you and any other form of like physical abuse and uh you know michael and i michael's was the year group above me but michael and i've been best friends since since we met in born school i think i was 11 he was 12 when we met i think he joined in year eight if i remember correctly and one day we were walking and we walked kind of like past the year 11's room and they dragged us in and i got the usual treatment but for michael they reserved something a bit more um well just vicious basically and they uh instead of kind of dragging him down they put him into a into their wardrobe they left the wardrobe door slightly ajar and they just emptied like two or three um deodorant cans into the wardrobe um in effect you know just gassing michael out really um and then they eventually let michael out and when he asked like what the hell was that for because i mean it was completely completely un- unasked for we, ju- we literally only walked past the room that was our only crime um they said oh because you're black and so you know i can only imagine that uh when something like this happens again and it resurfaces again all of those traumas that you've lived obviously resurface and i i know that's not the only thing that michael's had to deal with personally and 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 so you know i you can't you can't really imagine how hard it is to be honest you can't um you can try Mm. to empathize as much as possible um but but i suppose that kind of speaks to the first point i guess of this of this podcast of, of what we can do as white people to maybe make things a bit better. And I was talking to him, and I was talking to a friend, Tommy, um, another Nigerian girl at boarding school, and we were talking about it. And I think we kind of agreed that the principal 
reason um, for racism is ignorance. And, you know, there's two forms of ignorance. There's willful ignorance where someone actually, you know, actively stays ignorant to a certain topic. And then there's, you know, just kind of default ignorance where because of your life experiences and where you've grown up and so on and so forth, you know, you are ignorant to a certain um aspect of life um you know so what i mean by that is if you grew up in a very you know white dominated um town and your school was only you know only had white people in it and so on and so forth you may be ignorant to what it means to be a black person in britain or in ireland in your case i guess jim um and and so what i found is that people who don't have black friends it's not to say everyone this is just i'm just saying some people right some people who don't have black friends um they they see black people as other so they talk about themselves and when they talk about themselves it's them you know their friends and so on and so forth but when they talk about black people or muslim people it's them so it's us versus them you know what i mean and i think that kind of being able to disregard a whole community as them and not being able to personalize those people and to see them as 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 individual identities lends itself to being able to make abhorrent statements that you wouldn't make about a specific person because when you know um you know someone who is black or is muslim personally like you know their story you know their life story you know who they've you've met their mum and dad you've met their brothers and sisters you know you know their hobbies and so on and so forth to then kind of label you know the what are the negative black stereotypes that they're, they're, they're all lazy or that they're all aggressive or so on and so forth which is obviously nonsense but i think it's easier to do that when you don't have a personal connection to them to that group you know because you kind of see them as an entity rather than, you know and it's ridiculous because we would never call white people a certain thing because of the color of their skin because obviously we're all individuals and everyone's completely different and the level of melanin in your skin has kind of no correlation with how with who you are as a person right mm-hmm. um and, I, and I've kind of been flipping uh, backward and forward on this because my, I don't know what you think, Jim, but and I don't know what your experience was growing up. But um, I've been thinking, look, I've been very privileged in the sense that I was sent to boarding school and I since the age of 11, I grew up. I mean, I literally lived with Nigerians day in, day out, went to sleep. We would eat breakfast together. We'd play football together. You know, I, I grew up with these people. And so I was privileged in the sense that I you know i had that exposure i guess is a way to say it and so i didn't grow up ignorant because from a very young age i saw black people as individuals and not as a, as an entity um, and i don't know what specifically can be done uh, necessarily if you are someone who maybe has grown up in a white background or, or, or hasn't had exposure to multicultural life um what, what what i don't know what your opinions are on that jim well, when you initially said that you think the, the root cause of racism is ignorance, mm. well, I agree. I watched, uh, I basically watched an interview with uh, Dia Khan, who is like a Norwegian-British filmmaker, um, and she had an interview with Russell Brand, which is very interesting. But then I watched her movie, her documentary last night called White Right. Mm. And basically in the documentary, she just meets up with, leading figures of the alt-right movement in the states and she's she's not aggressive she's merely trying to understand what is behind this hatred Mm. um and i don't want to ruin the documentary but towards the end one of the leading figures that she was talking to ends up leaving the organization 
because he had the first experience of talking to a Muslim woman and he must have had this realization like, oh, wow, this this woman's lovely. She's a friend of mine. Why am I, for no real reason, only that I don't know them, presuming mm. these bullshit stereotypes? Um, and yeah, and then he was like, I'm sorry I left because I consider you a friend and you just happen to be in the Muslim faith. Um, but sorry, I, I, I really recommend the documentary if anybody's interested. But I brought that up because also she talked to former heads or former uh, prominent figures in the movement who have since left mm-hmm. and since were like completely done a, a 180 or a 360. Um, and one of them said, it's so much easier to say, I hate Jews and blacks and Muslims than to say, I'm afraid of not being worthy of love. Mm-hmm. And he he's like, uh, it, I think it's different because I think there's, a racism where you're not even like you're just not really t- actively being non-racist you're kind of just you know l- seeing it be present and then that's it you, yeah, you're, you're apathetic not, towards it yeah, yeah 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 but i think this guy is talking about the people who are incredibly angry people who are saying i hate jews i hate muslims i hate black people and his belief is that a lot of them are saying this because it's easier to say this than to say hey like I'm afraid I'm afraid of not being worthy of who I really am because when she interviews these people you the, almost all of them are really concerned with being liked mm. and if you see they surround themselves by other people in this movement because at least they'll feel liked then mm. you know and so this is by no means excusing their like awful behavior and in some cases violence and, and murder and, and rape etc but it's just interesting because while I totally agree that ignorance has a huge part to play, it is interesting what role fear plays as well. Mm. I mean, like in your growing up, um, Jim, obviously you grew up in Dublin. What for you, what was that like in terms of racially? What, what was that like? Did you grow up in a multicultural school and so on and so forth? Did you have multicultural friendships or was it, you know, predominantly white and, and so on? How, how was that for you? Uh, it was predominantly white. And, and to be honest, like on reflection, when I was in school, in secondary school particularly, I was passive with the like racist comments that happened to the minorities, minority kids in my school. Yeah, um, and it was it was the same thing. I just kind of wanted to be liked by the majority of people, you know. Um, and it's totally unfair and wrong that I didn't stop like this behavior, and it's not an excuse either, but. That, that is just the reason why I didn't stand up to the stuff that I saw because I saw similar things to what you're saying happened to Michael mm. and I heard a lot of things and and uh, yeah to be honest it was only in my late teens and when I went to university that I really uh, attacked this because um, we're I, I was lucky enough to go to university or have a course where we, re- we really tackle this um, post-colonial studies and we studied the idea of whiteness Mm. um and it it really did help me and the last few years i do see things with a completely different lens yeah. and uh yeah like uh, what about you um i mean yeah like i said i mean obviously i grew up in the boarding school and so that kind of definitely thankfully um kind of impacted me for the better from a very very young age but that being said it's not to say that 
I have always spoken out on racism when I've seen it. I've spoken out on it when, when I've had comments made personally to me. Um, you know, another example I use is that, and I think this is really indicative of, of people who maybe aren't, how do I put this, aren't actively racist, I guess I would say, um, but whereby, you know, so I left Skegness Grammar, which is where I was friends with, with, you know, the first and second generation Nigerian students, and I went to Cars Grammar. Um, both are in Lincolnshire, which anyone who's kind of familiar with that county is, it's a very rural, traditional predominantly white county okay and all that and all that entails um and this school that i joined as much as i love my two years there um was basically completely white if i'm not mistaken there was only one mixed race student in the whole school uh, unless i'm forgetting someone i think that is the case and in my year there wasn't anyone of of any well uh, yeah there wasn't any black students at all anyway so i joined this school and i'm new and obviously that you know there's people who've been there since the age of 11 Anyway, um, so I joined the school, I'm a newbie and kind of, I don't know how early in, but fairly early into joining the school within a couple of weeks, I would say, uh, a girl comes up to me and she asks me if I've been in trouble a lot, which is kind of a weird question just to come out of the blue. I mean, I don't really know this girl from Adam, but yet she just came out with this question. So I said no, but then I asked why she asked that because obviously it's a bit of a weird question and kind of intrigued me. And she said, well, we've seen your Facebook and you have a lot of black friends, don't you? Um, to which obviously I was gobsmacked, but I think it's indicative of how um, a lot of people maybe think, especially in rural areas and maybe where, and even, I mean, even in big cities, I guess, where there's multiculturalism, right? That you are intrinsically more likely to commit crime if you're black. And there, and what, but what I didn't realize is that that negative stereotype can bleed its way through to a white person just for having a friendship with black people, which I wasn't aware of. And so I kind of pulled her up on it and I just said, look, like, you know, having black friends um, is no kind of in, is not indicative of you being in, in a criminal or not, you know, you, I, you know, that's just it's got nothing to do with it, quite frankly. And we mm. spoke more about it. And what was shocking was that, I, I mean, she hasn't gone into this profession now, but when she said this, her aim after leaving school was to join the Met police in London uh, and to become part of the police force, which I mean, and I think that's the problem, Jim, is that we look at the police force, right? And we look and you see what's happening in the States. But I mean, we, this stuff, this stuff has happened in the UK as well. And I'm sure in Ireland as well, and any, any, every country basically. And we look at it as almost diff, we look at it as different. But I think the problem is when you have, ultimately, we have to remember that police men and women, police officers are, are human beings. And so just because they have a badge that doesn't rid them of any prejudice that they may have before they got that badge. Right. And so, I think the only way to kind of stop what's happening in the police force is to stop it happening in at, on a, in society, basically. Um, and anyway, we had the conversation and, you know, I, I'm not sure if I changed her mind in that moment, but I think with time she's changed her mind. And I'm sure if she could take those comments back, she would do now. I mean, she made these comments when she was 16, 17 years old. I'm not saying she believes the same thing being a 24-year-old woman now, but it's just indicative to show how white people are so so easily make the link between the color of someone's skin and and um and personal kind of um behavior right and yet when when we look at it on the flip side 
that link is not made. And obviously that link isn't made for white people because it's a ridiculous link to make in the first place, regardless of color. But what I mean by that is, you know, if you look recently in the news, there's been Jeffrey Epstein, there's been Jimmy Savile, uh, and, and loads of others. I mean, even in my own family, we had a pedophile, which I mean, that will come out, I guess, in, in a future podcast that we've already recorded. But all of these men were middle-aged kind of uh, middle-aged white men. Yeah. Now at no time has anyone questioned whether those men were pedophiles because they were white. Yeah. When I told my friends about my personal circumstance, no one asked me if the man in question was a pedophile because he was white. And obviously why, why would they not ask that? Cause it's a ridiculous kind of correlation to try and even draw. Okay. Obviously it has nothing to do with anything, but yet when I've seen my friends, um, act in a certain way or, or whatever it may be that kind of fulfills a negative black stereotype that's used as the explanation, right? So the example is, for example, um, in, in, at school at Skegness Grammar, uh, the black students that were there, their only option was excellence, academically speaking, because if they didn't perform and get straight A's and work tirelessly, they were easily dismissed as lazy mm. because, you know, that's one of the negative stereotypes. Oh, black people are lazy. So for them to dis- to rid themselves of that label, they had to outwork a white student, right? Mm. And the minute they didn't, not even act lazy, but just kind of work to the same level as maybe someone like me who, then they would be called lazy. Um, if uh, you some of the students, if they ever, you know, got into fights or got into like heated arguments, which happens at school, you know, where like teenagers, there's hormones flying all over the shop, they would get called aggressive because black people, especially black women, when they argue, they get called aggressive, right? But when a white girl would argue with someone at school, they would never get called aggressive. It was just, oh, you know, maybe it was her time of the month. Maybe she just had a bad, she had a bad day. She woke up on the wrong side of the bed. We'd make all these excuses, right? But the minute one of the black girls at my school kind of got into an argument, they were labeled as aggressive girls because they were black. Mm. And it's to point out that hypocrisy. um, There's a fantastic interview with Akala and Piers Morgan that mm. that was released last year. And Piers Morgan actually asked Akala, is the high uh, rate of knife crime, yeah, yeah, life, yeah, which is attributed or which a high percentage of is committed by black men, does their race have anything to do with that? Yeah, and then Akala is like, just please understand what you're asking me here. You're asking me, does there is their race an explanatory factor for their crime, right? Yeah. And then and then he goes on to say that. Uh, Black males uh, disproportionately represent uh, players in the Premier League. The yeah. four youngest people to do GCSEs in England were all black. Yeah. And at nev- at never one of them had a higher IQ than Einstein. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And never was that going, oh, is this because of his skin? Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. Um, and it, it's just important to know, like, yeah, it's important that that interview is really great. Like, yeah, I love Alan's calmness. Uh, He's fantastic. Yeah, it's just so admirable. He is. He's fantastic, and also because he's so well read on the topic that he oh, yeah, yeah. he can argue he can argue with you both on the humanitarian point of view, but also education. Like he's got the stats and the facts. Um, yeah. I, and yeah, but this, you know, it's these things. It's these rhetorics that we, we some not all of us, but some white people have, and I think some people don't even know that they have it, but they subconsciously think it. And so then when they see 
a black person acting that way it's just like oh yeah okay and it's like oh see it like that kind of um validates my stereotype because look at them that's what they're doing and it's like you well, know that maybe that was just like one guy who did one thing because of a million of reasons and factors but none of those factors were because he was black let me tell you that much but you know what i'm saying but we do but i think and it's so important to kind of notice that um thought process and pattern within ourselves and within our friendship groups and i think you know what we love with this podcast and what we try to promote is conversation and i think what's really important i mean definitely go watch any akala interview to be quite honest because he's had hundreds and they're all on youtube and they're all fascinating but i mean there's so many other interviews with people like cornell west killer mike um, and then you can even go back and back and further be, um you know and get old interviews and speeches from james baldwin martin luther king malcolm x and so many others that are on, on youtube these days so it's easy access if people want to find that information right but mm-hmm. i think it's really important that if you hear as a white person if you hear a friend make a store a derogatory statement like that or you know you're arguing a certain topic and they say something like oh yeah well you know black people are lazy or whatever to really pull them up on that point and to point out the hypocrisy of that statement and just like akala did to question are you really asking me are you really telling me that their race is an explanatory factor for their behavior? Is that what you're telling me? That the way that they were born, the, the level of melanin that they have in their skin is what dictates how they have acted 50 years since their birth. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing if we can take from this kind of whole movement as white people is we should actively be having those conversations and not let things pass us by, not disregard people. Jim, I've, had, I've heard a load of times um where people have said to me um seb i cre- i completely agree with you we should be having these conversations um so on and so forth but what i think is you know that reality the reality is that our generation is the one that will bring about change because we can bring our kids up to you know to be to not be racist basically and it will be that generation where we see the biggest amount of change and that you know what if your dad says something or your granddad says something you know, they're a person of that time in a way, almost understand it because they grew up in that era and you're not going to get anything out of them. So it's pointless having that conversation, which initially, um, I'll admit, I kind of agreed with. And then upon further reflection, just seemed ridiculous to me because when you think about it, right? So if we take our grandparents, um, for example, as a generation, that generation did more than our generation ever has for freedom of people in in the world not just in a country in the world you know they they fought two world wars um against highly racist regimes okay they lost so many brothers and sisters for that for that for that cause and so if you see your granddad or your grandma or whatever it may be kind of slip into those lazy rhetorics i think it's important to bring up those conversations and to keep them true to their own sacrifice you know, um, because ultimately you can't, I, I do believe that anyone, no matter how entrenched they are in their views, um, is capable of change to some extent. Now, they might not go from being a KK leader to becoming, you know, a Martin Luther King type of person. But I think you, I mean, like we've seen with the woman that you were talking about, another great person that um, was on the Joe Rogan show, Daryl Davis. I'm not sure if you've seen that interview, Jim, but he he converted something like, 
I'm not sure if it's a hundred, couple of hundred people from the KKK, like just by having conversations with them and having a beer with them. And he would put himself as a black man. He's a black man. And he's a, he's a blues player and he put himself in danger. And he, like you, like with you, like with a with woman that you were saying kind of converted these people because they realized, Oh, this Daryl Davis is a lovely guy. How can I hate him? You know, just because he's black and they would j- slowly and surely some of them left the KKK. Um, and this is now, you know, this is something this is happening right now. This isn't happening like a hundred years ago. And so I just think that it's really important to kind of have that hope and not to give up on people, no matter how entrenched they seem in their views. And um, I can't remember who exactly said it. I think it might be Angela Davis. I'm not sure, but she, someone said a great, great quote that basically no one is born racist, right? And you learn racism. And so if it's learned, it can be unlearned. And I think that's a perfect way to look at the world and to look at people who maybe have hold racist views is that they didn't, they didn't, they weren't born into the world this way from day one, hating black people or Muslim people or whoever it may be, um, or homophobia even, or whatever it may be, you know, they kind of learned that through rhetorics, through experiences, through people that they hang around with. And if they can, un- they can learn something, you can actively unlearn something, you know? Absolutely. And I think it's important to move on to the idea of the conversations about this, to- these topics, because I think we value uh, being right or not caving in to what we previously believed to be true much higher than empathy. And uh, I'm reading this book, similar to what David Davis said, there's a book called We Need to Talk by Celeste Headley. And she, she's getting at this point, right, where we just need to listen to these people, just listen, you know. And so the we, the example I brought up with you yesterday, I, I don't want to bash you, I don't want to bash English people at all. Uh, but when I bring up Irish history, there's uh, or the fact, the fact that English history is riddled with colonialism mm. and, and racism, Often there is, uh, but I got to defend this, you know, oh, but, you know, we did build these roads in India or, oh, mm. we did bring this and we did bring this. And yeah. it's the same idea where we, like, I've seen people kind of try to justify the racist systems that we exist in also. And mm. it, it it's so much easier to do that than to just, all right, all right, I'm just going to listen. I don't know. Like, and if you if you walk into a conversation and you're not willing to budge on what you believe to be true, what is the point in having the conversation? Yeah, 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 and for sure. This is the reason. Like, I feel like we we feel like we're being attacked when what we believe to be true is being criticized. When really the conversation should be constructive, like sh- like both ideas coming and just listening, active listening and response, rather than oh you say this, oh so now I'm going to come back with this response because I heard this is a good response to this critique. And you're just, nobody's winning there. And I think why Daryl Davis and Dia Khan were so successful was because they're not trying to jam their opinion down their throat. They're just trying to connect them on a much deeper level than this, like on these words, this rhetoric. Mm. And and 100%. And I mean, I've been reading kind of before this whole movement happened, it just happened kind of to co- coincide, but I've been reading the, on the history of the Congo and Katanga and kind of the Belgian rule in there with King Leopold and so on and so forth. And, you know, I, we were speaking about this yesterday, Jim, but in, in, in UK history, you know, I've studied history at school. Um, so in the UK curriculum, I should say, 
colonialism isn't taught at all. <laughs> it just, bloop, we just skip over that bit. We go from ancient Greeks to World War II, and everything in between is just kind of conveniently forgotten about, right? And and so I think you're t- 100% right, and maybe I have even been guilty of, of saying these things, but so when someone kind of critiques you, whether it's an Irish person or, or, or someone from, you know, from Africa or India or, yeah, I mean, unfortunately the UK had the largest empire in the world, so there's a lot of people who rightfully take umbrage with UK history, okay? And when you haven't read up on the topics um, and you only kind of peripherally know what happened – like you say, you tried to create defense systems. Oh yeah, but without you know, without the British rule, India wouldn't have had all of their, all of their um the railway system that they're famed for these days. And without this, and without that, and blah blah blah. And but I think what it is is that as well. Once you're surely you're right that we get defensive. But the other thing is that we think that our way of living is the only way of living. The Western ideals are the only way of living, right? And so I'm reading this book on the Congo and and kind of um and the history of it and the imperialism and their fight for independence and all of that stuff. And uh you know it talks about how the Congo was I mean it wasn't a thing. In Africa nations didn't exist. In Africa you would have certain tribes that would kind of dominate a specific area. Um and then if another tribe wanted that area for whatever reason, hunting or, or whatever it may be, there would be some tribal warfare and then you know you'd get the next dominant tribe and they would dominate that area for however many years and that would be the cycle of life. And to be honest, that's not too different from how from how we've worked in the western world with wars you know we would invade one country to try and get them and so on and so forth but what is different is that they didn't have these rigid lines of borders and frontiers and this is a country it was just like no we're kind of native to this land but we don't own this land and and it's a fluid thing right and only reading this book has it become apparent to me that the way that we live in the western world isn't necessarily the right way to do things and but i think what we what we've become to believe as as uk kind of citizens and this still happens now right with the us and the uk going to afghanistan and so on and so forth is that we're saving quote unquote these savages from themselves and we're teaching them democracy and so on and so forth yeah that's the that's the line that we we've still pushed to this day yeah, with the Syria bombings and so on and so forth. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, it's okay to have diversity in the way that people live and that the way that continents see structures such as countries and society and so on and so forth. And what's devastating that, you know, you see in the Congo, and I mean, this is just replicated all over Africa, unfortunately, is that these people who, in by and large, were happy with the way that they were living, um, for, they come the the whether it's British or Belgian or the French or Italians or the Spanish, they would come over, enforce kind of Western ideals on on the native population through rape and pillage and all and I mean just ungodly amounts of 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 um of violence. And then we would up and leave once there would be a war for independence and we would leave them in a lurch. Do you know what I mean? Because it wasn't their system of living anyway. And I think that's something that UK people, because unless you're really invested in history, you just don't see because we're not taught it, Jim. That's that's the ultimate fact. And and it's something important to say that whilst World War One and Two were great things and we can be proud of what we did as the UK in those wars, those two wars alone don't absolve the UK from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of violence and imperialism and colonialism, right? Um, and 
and and it's this old quote that I've seen knocking about, which I, I love uh, more and more each day. Which is, you have the right to, be, you you have the personal responsibility to be more ethical um, than the society you grew up in. And I'm going to add kind of a little prefix that more ethical and educated. And so, if if our school systems aren't going to teach us about imperial rule in the UK, then I think it's up to us to learn about it individually. And to, you know, you don't have to read a book. If a book's not your thing. You don't have to, but there's plenty of documentaries on it, of, of interviews and, and, and little, you know, you can watch a little 10 minute video on YouTube, which will explain it clear enough, really. Um, I, I just happen to love history. So for me, it's kind of a passion, but if you don't do that, I think it's hard to understand the grievances because that's the thing for, for these, you know, for someone who is now uh, a black British citizen, these grievances are kind of come all the way back from centuries and the same with you we were talking with you weren't we that you know even though you didn't kind of personally suffer from the potato famine yourself you still kind of feel that grievance because it happened to your ancestors you know 100 or 200 years ago um and i don't think uk people um, the english people pay enough attention to that at all i think it just requires some openness you know when these things are discussed and very rarely do i hear Jesus, like that must have been absolutely awful. I can't believe that happened. Tell me more, or what? And what happened after this? And we just—it's—it's it's always like, ah, oh, I gotta defend this. And so, what you say, yeah, you have to. In this case, you have to do your own research because the school system won't provide it. You could still do your own research and still find resistance because it's going against what you believe to be true. Mm. And so, this is why, I, like, it really does require someone to go okay let me let me listen and let me empathize let, yeah. like stop trying to justify just go oh jesus yeah wow yeah. you know yeah for sure for sure and i and i mean it kind of links neat, neatly onto the topic of black history month and i've got my problems my issues with black history month i mean in the uk i think if i'm not mistaken it's in october and in the us it's in february um and my problem with it is jim is that in the uk i don't want to speak about the us but in the uk at, at the very least in my personal experience black history month basically what that meant was all of black history which is basically human history because you know they are part of the human race uh, even though some people don't want to admit that they are and um black people were the first ever humans to ever exist we all emanated from africa so i mean black history is as long as human history is um yet for me in my personal experience black history was um was kind of consigned to october and throughout the rest of the year when we'd be learning about the suffragette movement or world war one and two we wouldn't be talk about we wouldn't be taught about black history in those specific kind of um you know periods of time so for example we would learn about world war one and two but we weren't taught that many many people in the commonwealth came over and fought side by side with the british uh, we weren't taught that and so then when you see that being depicted in in the great film for example 1917 where you do see that there was actually uproar in you know people complaining that oh why why are there black and hindu people in 1917s you know this is just quota um this wasn't real blah blah it's because they're not aware of the history i mean the history sh would show you if you're if you do the research and you get taught correctly the history will show you that they fought alongside us and then in the later years when the country was on its knees came over in their droves from the commonwealth to help build the country back up 
brick by brick. Now, I'm not saying that Black History Month should be eradicated, but what I am saying is that if we're going to keep keep hold of Black History Month, then we should use it as a way to illuminate and to shine a light on it more. But that doesn't mean that throughout the rest of the year, we should ignore black history. You know, we don't have white history month. Why? Because we're taught white history throughout the whole year. And that uh, that's my grievance with them. This is from personal experience, maybe in other schools or in other counties, it'd be different. I don't know. Um, but it's something that we should kind of recognize that is part of all its history. Black history is just history. It shouldn't be separate. Um, and we shouldn't only be taught it in one month. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Cause to try and create cram in black history in one month is just like, it's an impossible feat. So all you're doing is you're kind of scratching the very surface and then the time November, the first hits again, you're back onto like your UK white history and we forget it all about it until next year comes around. And we just, we bet all we do is we just touch on the same topics. And so that's kind of my, my thing with black history. Do they have black history month in Ireland at all? If they do, I'm not aware of it or it doesn't get a lot of, uh, play in terms of media. Um, yeah, I, I, obviously it's, it's a much bigger deal in the UK and the US. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I it, mean, it, go on, sorry. It, like when I was talking to you yesterday, you, you were saying how, like you were, you were quite adamant about the, the, the failures of Black History Month. Mm. And I do think, while I agree with you, that it should be across the spectrum, like ac- across the year in terms of content. Uh, it's, I'm sure it has also funded programs and museum exhibitions, et cetera, that have highlighted and initiated the discovery of Black history for a lot of people. So it's important to recognize that it, it has helped for sure. Um, and it should be year round, but it's it, you shouldn't completely disregard what it's done either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that's a fair point, and and I mean it kind of all goes back into, I guess. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how how this period of time gets taught in history in you know in schools when we're like sixteen, seventy, or where our kids are going to school. It'd be interesting to see how the year twenty twenty is taught, um, and if they put a divide on it and they kind of say this is Black history and this is White history. But I mean, I, I guess we'll see, yeah. I mean, we'll guess we'll see that how that kind of unfolds. Um, to kind of move on to a different topic um what i've also found really uh, useful when talking to someone who may have racist beliefs uh and maybe openly kind of displays their racism uh is to come at them with to talk about them about their interests and about you know who they what they like as you know what they like as people and their hobbies and so forth and then to kind of uh, educate them if they don't already know about what black experience what black culture has done for that particular hobby or or or, or passion of theirs right um so for example if there were if there was a young person let's say who maybe held racist beliefs but wasn't an, an avid techno fan yeah to explain to them how techno came about because it was an invention of black culture i mean without black culture we would not have (laughs) we would not have techno and all the festivals and and all the amazing arts that we have these days they came from from black from black um from black history the same with hip-hop and many other things and i think that's kind of a really important um point is to recognize how much black creation 
has actually influenced our lives now and how, how yeah and how poorer we would be without them you know mm-hmm. um, and then when there's a, an instance where we could show a little bit of gratitude or a little bit of respect for that we kind of shy away we kind of ah it's not really my place you know yeah, because like, for me man like i can't even imagine how worse my life would be without art created by non-white people of like it's it's impossible to fathom yeah. and i was only thinking about that yesterday as well like, yeah i i can't i i can't just sit back passively and say oh sorry this is this is happening and still bump kanye west how much i bump kanye west or yeah. jay cole or kendrick lamar or half the movies that i watch i was gonna say all of the movies i mean jesus christ the amount of actors and directors are just I mean, there's just too many to even list. Um, uh, the books, the, I mean, the music for me is the huge one, right? I mean, the music is just phenomenal. Um, it's almost un, it's like almost like they, like they were kind of just out there on their own almost. Uh, yeah. But I mean, sports, man, and this is the biggest thing and it's like the biggest hypocrisy. And it's something that to my shame, I haven't called out when I have seen it for fear of, you know, um, for getting beaten up or whatever it may be. But, you go to a football ground, okay? And now we know racism is rife in football, but it's not rife in football. And it's rife in football because it's rife in society. And people believe that in football, you're free to say whatever you want. So it's kind of like it just gets let out. It's like the gas, it's like the little valve. And we let, and people let their steam out at a football stadium, right? And you will see people celebrate a goal scored by their a black striker. You know, I'm an Arsenal fan. Thierry Henry is in my mind, the best Arsenal player there has ever been. Okay. Mm -hmm. An absolute God amongst men when it came to the football pitch. Now he's black. So you would see Arsenal fans, for example, celebrate a goal that he would score and defend him vehemently against their rival fans. Say that he's the best player in the world at his peak and so on and so forth. And then they would racially abuse a rival black player. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how can you live? How can that hypocrisy kind of exist? Like, how, can you not see that? Whereby for you, Thierry Henry or Sol Campbell, Patrick Vieira, Ashley Cole, you know, they're, they're your gods. You worship these people every Saturday. You, it's like church. You go, you pay your money, you worship them. But then Didier Drogba scores against you and you call him the N-word and you, and you do monkey chants and so on and so forth. And it's like... I, I just can't, my, I don't know. I just can't fathom that. I really can't. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very good point, man. Um, and I, I don't know how often it would be brought up to, to these people that like, uh, to the people that <laughs> do that. I mean, this is the thing. What I got from the documentary yesterday with the can also is that very often people who uh, act in racist ways or openly act, or act in racist ways, when you ask them just certain questions like you're asking them, asking now, they get uncomfortable mm-hmm. because I think, I think they not, like, they're uncomfortable with it because they, they, they feel that there is something not right with it. It's only because they've spent so much time around people that aren't questioning it that they feel it's okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, like, for example, myself, 
this is something that I, like I was saying to you, you know, I think I have spoken up and I've been anti-racist when someone has said something personally to me or within a circle where I feel comfortable. But where I'm going to try and make that step further is, you know, if I do see that from now on in a football field, in a football stadium or wherever it may be, to take a stance there and then and not be like, oh, they're a bunch of racists. I don't know them. They're not part of my friendship group. And just kind of like take the easy way out, you know, um, that's something that I'm definitely, I've definitely learned from this because we can all improve. And this isn't to say that I'm perfect and, or, and that I've always been anti-racist and this, that, and the other, there's so much more work that I can do, um, for sure. And that's one of the big things is where you kind of see crowds of people where it, it might not be at a stadium. It might, might be in a pub. Yeah. Or wherever it will be. But if you see someone kind of say, oh, you fucking black, blah, 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 because they missed the penalty. To call them out and then go, are you fucking stupid? Like, are you, are you like, really, are you really going to come out with that comment? I mean, you can say that they're a bad football player. Okay, fair enough. Because that's got nothing to do with the color of their skin. But if you're going to start using racist slurs, now we've got a problem. Um, for sure. And I think, the, I mean, I, the other thing, man, that we haven't really touched on is black beauty. And how much that has influenced our society these days. I mean... You only have to look at the Kardashian family, whether you agree with them and you're an avid fan of their TV show or not. I mean, it's un- it's undeniable that they have made millions, if not billions, off their aesthetic, which has been inspired by um, Black Beauty, at w- and which was in you know in previous years was condemned. You know, in previous years, if you were a woman and you had um, big lips, a big bum, big boobs, that was seen as ugly, right? There wasn't long ago. I think it was only the 2000s where in the noughties where the Kate Middleton aesthetic was what everyone wanted to be, the Kira Knightley aesthetic, which was, you know, white, very skinny um, and very traditional kind of white features. And that's not to say that 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 should not be deemed as beautiful now. Everyone has their own choices. Of course they do. But I think we should recognize how much white people uh, and, and I mean, really famous and really successful business people like Kylie Jenner, who is, I think the, the, the youngest self-made billionaire off a lip of a lip brand that she makes, which actually enhances um, like, and kind of like makes your lips look bigger. I don't know how, I don't know what the science is, but that's what she's made her billions on is black beauty and yet we are you here unfortunately you do hear people say oh black people are ugly this that and the other and you go but yet their girlfriend or whatever it may be or the girl that they're pining over on instagram is showing all of these black traits do you know what i mean and it's again it's to point out that hypocrisy and to go okay so you think kim kardashian's really beautiful and that's fine that's your personal opinion there's no problem with that but do you realize that this this and this and this actually comes from its origin is from black beauty like are you aware of that fact and just to kind of see like you said to not to make them uncomfortable on purpose but to kind of point out that hypocrisy and to make them maybe reflect on on their viewpoints and 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 their belief systems yeah like just to mix this in with your previous point i do believe that we have different roles to play in this meaning that we have different strengths and that sometimes it may be a better approach for someone to uh, engage or to to uh, approach racism in such a way, and then another in another way. Mm. Because uh, from what I see with Dia Khan and with a lot of other people, they are having success success with these kind of conversations. But I've also heard that, like straight up, you know, justified anger 
can also do this, you know, mm. but I, I, I think it depends on, on how you do it and in the context. And th- this is, this is the thing, like it, it takes, it takes a good scoping uh, of the situation and the, uh, I, I don't know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that maybe we could ask ourselves, how do we think this, how do, how could we best uh, improve this situation? You know, mm. Mm. and sometimes it might be with like this very, uh, very accurate uh, illustration of hypocrisy. Or do you see the differences here? Do you see why this is this is racist here and it's not racist here? Uh, but then also there is just anger out there and justified anger as well, and that needs to be expressed also. I mean, perfect. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to ask you how you thought, like, kind of like to tie this up, um, how you thought we could maybe go about, you know, as white people go about this to try and make a better society and to help, help with the races, you know, help defeat the racism. Um, and, and one point that we haven't really touched on just yet, but I think is really important is, um, you know, the conversation is important and the way in which you go about the conversation, like you said, to go about it calmly and to not just, you know, attack someone because once you attack them from the get go, they're just going to put up their, that, you know, it's just, it's just, they're just going to close down and they're not going to listen to anything you're saying. But I think another thing that we can do, um, you know, which Killer Mike and, and so many other people within in the black community um, have said is the voting system, right? And, and ultimately, if you believe in democracy, that is, I guess, the principal way you change things ultimately, right? And I think we have to be nuanced in our in our thinking when it comes to voting and our political leaders okay and uh, what i mean by that is i have i have friends who have voted conservative i voted conservative when i was 18 or the first vote that i did i voted for david cameron which i've since regretted because he brought about brexit and so on and so forth but we won't get into that but um you know i've seen people vote for conservative i have friends who vote conservative i have friends who vote for brexit that's not to say that they're racist people but we have to understand that there are, were are some people who voted for Brexit and so on, where there were there were certain racial undertones within that voting system, right? Now, what I think is important to recognise is I have seen some people um, since this has all happened with the George Floyd and so on, lamenting Boris Johnson for his inaction and his kind of wishy-washy stance on the whole issue. And I mean, I'm not sure if some people are aware, but you know. Um, we the uk actually sell the the riot gear to the us police you know we sell the rubber bullets and, and the vests and so on and so forth and so there's been a lot of people calling for boris johnson to stop that because ultimately that is i mean we're seeing these terrible videos of police brutality over there in the us and he as would be expected if you did your research on him as a man as who he is as a person hasn't come out to um to say anything against donald trump or what's happening in the u.s and i think what i'm trying to say is that not to say that if you vote for the conservatives you're racist because i don't believe that to be true and in fact when that rhetoric was getting stated by a lot of left-wing people when the vote came through i was uncomfortable with because i don't think that's the case i don't think that it's as it's as black as white as that if you vote for the conservatives then you're a racist i don't think you can say that what but there will be some of those people within that constituency who maybe have racist viewpoints and i think it's important for us to do our research on our political leaders when we're at the time of voting and to do our research in not just on their policies because ultimately policies 
are um, hypothetical, right? When someone kind of gives their manifesto, it's what they would bring about in their best case scenario. But we all know that no one has ever completely kind of completed their manifesto. It's just an impossibility. Um, but you can read, you know, for example, Dave, um, sorry, Boris Johnson, he had, he had um, a column, I, th- I want to say in the Telegraph, uh, in the Telegraph. Yes, exactly. And where he made some outlandish racist comments. And I have a few here, Jim, that I'd just like to quickly read out just to kind of point out, this is the man who now we're hoping has all of a sudden changed his viewpoints and is now the Nelson Mandela for the UK. I mean, listen to some of the things that he says. Um, you know, it is said that the Queen has love has come to love the Commonwealth partly because it supplies her with regular cheering crowds of flag waving pickaninnies. Uh, no doubt about no doubt the AK-47s will fall silent. The pangs will stop their hacking of human flesh. The tribal warriors will all break out in watermelon sw- smiles to see the white the big white chief touch down in his big white British taxpayer funded bird. Um, the best fate for Africa would be if all the old colonial powers or their citizens scrambled once again in her di- in her direction on the understanding that this time they will not be asked to feel guilty. Um, and I, I mean, and that was just that was just a few. There's loads more. And it's just to say, look, if you're going to vote for someone, vote for them on their policies, of course, but also vote for them on the strength of who they are as a human being. And if you are you're not a racist person and but you're going to vote for someone who's racist and then you're going to be surprised when they you know ultimately act racist i think that kind of shows that you haven't done your research and i think it's really important for us to all to when we go to the voting booths to know who and what we're voting for implicitly um watching that documentary yesterday and seeing what can happen like there there is no never too gone in my opinion and seeing people who are heads of neo-Nazi organizations in the States now completely renouncing the behavior, trying to live, trying to live a day by day, good actions, trying to do the opposite, what they were doing. <clears throat> it's important to scald Boris for them comments, but also give him an opportunity to say, okay, here, are, are you going to show us that you're, that you're, that you can change? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and right now he isn't, but we like, to me, I, Again, like I, I don't like. There are much more smart, much smarter people than me that could say, "Oh, we think this is the best approach for Boris, or we think this is the best approach for Trump." I don't know, but I know that the people who have helped neo Nazis convert, maybe they should be asked about this. You know? Yeah, Jim, that's a really good point because I've been seeing recently a lot of people, um, you know, white people on their Twitter. Um, happily proclaiming that they've cancelled uh, blocked i guess a lot of people off their social media feeds and you know these tweets that they, you know people saying oh so cleansing to block so many races off my facebook and these tweets are getting like, thousands of likes and it strikes me that actually by doing that you become the you actually are you're losing because whilst that initial feeling of winning of oh, thank god now my feeds are that bit cleaner now i don't have to deal with these stupid comments and you feel that initial kind of win in the long term, you're losing out because in the long term, that person who you've blocked is not going to change their beliefs because now you've actually calcified it. You've hardened their beliefs. They've taken that as a moral victory. Um, and 
And what's happened now is that you've just made your feed less racist. You haven't made the world less racist. And that's a really important distinction to make. And I think what we're doing these days with the cancel culture and blocking people is we're denying people the opportunity to change. And by just disregarding someone completely and going, oh, fuck you, I'm just going like, to block you. You're not worth the time. You're hopeless. What we're saying is, that thousands if not millions of people are beyond reproach they're hopeless that it's a futile um argument to have and and if we're serious in our allyship then i don't think we can take that approach let's be fair here um i'm not expecting black people to have that same amount of patience because they've been dealing with this for their whole lives um and this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years but let's be honest a lot of white people unfortunately whilst they may have never been racist in their life they're only really internalizing that kind of feeling of despair in the last couple of weeks. And so to lose out, to, to be hopeless with people after only kind of getting onto this within the last couple of weeks really actually is useless. And I think if this movement shows anything, it shows that uh, we, we can use our white privilege to have conversations that maybe black people can't have because they wouldn't even be allowed in the door. Right. And so if we're not willing to use that, then all of the um, posts that we make and everything else, they're morally void. If we're not willing to engage in long, hard, nuanced conversations over and over again. And when you have these conversations, it's important to realize that you're not going to change their mind within in that conversation you're not going to you know it's not going to be a moment of enlightenment where the, where the the clouds part the sun shines through and and the angels are singing but what you're doing is hopefully you are allowing that person the space to reflect on their opinions and reflect on what you're saying and maybe just maybe in time they will in they will then reflect on what they've said maybe on you know facebook or twitter wherever it may be and hopefully change their opinions no matter how big or small that change is, it's still a win. But if we don't even open up that dialogue, if we just act in, in despair from the offset, then we lose, we lose already. We make no win. And what we're then saying is we have to wait until the next generation comes before any change can happen. And I and I mean that number one, that's just such a such a pessimistic way to look at life and such a pessimistic, pessimistic way to look at this, at this problem that we're facing and and what does it gain and you know and the other thing I've seen a lot of people do and I understand right it's easy to get to feel inflamed when you see these comments that are abhorrent in my view but when you when someone comments okay and they you know you, let's say you've made a, 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 a tweet or a post you know um, in support of the of the black lives movement and someone comments on it with a racist viewpoint back as an argument, okay? And you re uh, retaliate. What you're doing, you're not actually opening dialogue. You may think you are, but you're not opening real dialogue. And you, it's, an, it's antagonistic from the offset. So what are they going to do? They're going to get defensive. And you're not going to have change. I mean, there was this one guy on Facebook, and I saw him make a few comments. So I thought, let me try to be true to what I'm saying here. And... I reached out to him, he's a random, I don't know who he is, but I reached out to him on, on Facebook Messenger. And I just said, look, uh, you know, hi mate, like I've seen some of your comments um, and I disagree with them fundamentally and I think a lot of them are baseless um, and here are some of the reasons why. He actually replied, after being really antagonistic to some of the people on Facebook, right, who were making the same po points I was, 
He replied back to me saying, his first reply was, thank you for reaching out to me in private. Can I ask you one thing? Do you think you're always right? To which I replied, obviously I don't. Um, and I'm willing to accept that I am wrong in certain circumstances, but let's just have this conversation. We, we're now having that conversation. Now, I can't tell you if he's going to change his mind now or whenever. But what I'm saying is we've already started off on the right foot. And I think that's the really important message to take here is that by blocking people or by being antagonistic in your comments, you're not going to change anything. And so really, when you say that you're an ally in this fight against racism, well, are you really? Because by posting things and, cr and creating an echo chamber on your own social media, what are you achieving there? Like I said, all you're doing is you're making your feed less racist. You're not making the world less racist. And that's a very big distinction that we have to make. And I think if you're really, um, if you're really honest and you really do want to make a change in the world and you want to be an ally to your black friends um, and your, your ethnic minorities, then you have to take the patience patience is a virtue so let's be virtuous let's be hopeful and let's hope that we can change people's opinions one conversation at a time and that's the key word it's a conversation it's not an argument because i've noticed and it doesn't matter if i'm talking about racism homophobia sexism or even just a conversation with your girlfriend when you argue you don't win anything you don't change anyone's minds but when you have an open dialogue about whatever the case may be that's when change can happen and i think that's probably the biggest thing that i've learned from this and and the biggest thing that i would really like to impart and and, and hopefully people who are listening to this that they can kind of take forward so i mean i think we can tie up there Jim, unless there's any points that you haven't brought up that you wanted to that we've missed yeah this is this was one interesting thing that I was talking to my dad mm -hmm. about and that I asked you yesterday. And I think it's important for us to ask ourselves is that how far are we willing to go? So we hate the idea of seeing George Floyd being murdered, but are we just going to forget about it in two weeks and then just re retweet something maybe when it's a year anniversary or something, or are we going to go to a protest or are we willing to, you know, lose a day's work for, are we losing to, willing to lose our job for, you know, how important is it for us? Um, because you know there's a there's a thing that they call uh, that i came across in public policy where they say like nimby like nimby people meaning not in my backyard so it's like yeah no i can't stand for racism um except when uh, a movement is uh, attacking racism and it affects my daily life yeah. you know so like oh i can't get the bus to work today be you know no it's like i support uh the driver's rights or public servants rights but when they strike and i can't get the tube to work that's not cool yeah and so i don't know like i'm asking myself currently about it as well where how far am i willing to go and i just think it's an important inter interrogation to go okay this is important addition to me this made me feel horrible like just watching a, a person die <laughs> be murdered minutes. for eight minutes it, when he says he can't breathe and there's just four people watching and this wasn't a once-off occasion. I remember I wrote a paper in my university about Eric Garner, who said the exact same thing. He said, I can't breathe, yeah, and he yeah. died later. And I don't know. Like, I just think that it's, it's a shame that because we are so filled with horrible uh, events on, happening on a daily basis, we, I think we inevitably we become a bit numb to it and inevitably we just go, okay, next news cycle, next news cycle. Yeah. But if this is something that really shakes you to the core, realize that you can do things about it. And even if it's just having a chat with your uncle 
who retweeted this really dodgy article uh, on Facebook saying like something like all Muslims are rapists, rapists, something like this. Mm. It it can't help, you know? Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, like that, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to ask myself how far I'm willing to go. I don't know if you're willing to answer this question at this point, but I think it's an important question nonetheless. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I know you're going to protest today. Is that right? After this, I think. Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I've, we've got a march, um, well, actually it's a memorial for George Floyd in, in uh, Madrid tomorrow. So we're going to that. I, I, what I've taken from this is that I'm now really going to speak up when I see it. Um, be that if I see it from a stranger in the street who I have no, I don't know them from Adam or I see that in my friendships because I find, I mean, this is just me personally. I find it easier to bring it up and to kind of um, fight against it within friendships and within, not that my friends are racist, thankfully, um, uh, but within people that I'm, I'm familiar with, whereas, you know, it's a lad on your football team or wherever it may be, but I find it more difficult and more daunting to do that with an unknown quantity because ultimately you don't know how that will end. Um, but uh, I, you know, you know what I'm like on, on sexual abuse. I think it's imperative that we police ourselves before we start questioning the police. Um, and I think that means that not only you doing that within your own, you know, your own kind of community, but you do that outside and where you maybe do feel uncomfortable. But that, in some cases, is even more important because, you know, if, if I if I use the example of someone shouting a racist slur because a black person missed a penalty in the FA Cup final, for example, well, if he feels that confident to say that in public, it's probably because his friends, if they don't feel the same way, they're definitely not bringing him up on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so if that's the case, then me hoping that one of his friends will eventually one day say something to him is, you know, it's pissing in the wind really. Um, So then that's the way I see it. And so now I'm like, well, you know, obviously his friends aren't doing anything. So I'm going to take it upon myself and I'm going to say something. And now it's not saying I'm going to beat him up or anything like that, but I'm going to try to just say at the very least, if it does nothing else, but just so he knows that he can't be making those statements in public at the very least, then that's something, right? And and also, sorry, something to just to quickly, before we finish up here, to recognize how nuanced racism can be. Because I've had a lot of conversations with my Spanish friends and because we don't have police in Spain shooting black people in the streets or kneeling on their necks for eight minutes and 45 seconds, we, people in Spain, a lot of people in Spain think that racism here doesn't exist or isn't as bad and i've heard that being said in england by the way i've heard that on the news channels where people have questioned is it as bad in england because, same in ireland same yeah same in ireland right okay cool i think it's a worldwide thing we th- we see the the atrocities happening in the u.s and they're ghastly and we go oh that's the standard so as long as we're not doing that we're groovy mm-hmm. and i think it's really important to note that little things of and, and maybe things that you maybe need to pay a bit more attention that maybe aren't slightly, maybe aren't as obvious as someone kneeling on someone's neck for eight minutes, or 45 seconds, that still constitutes as racism. Okay. The fact that in Spain and in Italy, this is, I know this from personal experience, black people are seen as second generation, second class citizens because they're not integrated in society at, in any form whatsoever. It's almost impossible to have a black or, or sorry, a Spaniard or an Italian go to school and, you know, have a multicultural school. I have been in three or four different offices now, different companies. Not once have I worked alongside a black person. 
okay and that that filters through where people think oh there's not re- much racism in spain it's like no they're not integrated in spain so you don't see it but it's still there okay and i think it's really important to bring that up as well so that when people so that people don't fall in to the lazy um belief that their country is free of racism because they don't kill the police don't kill black people in the streets i think that's really important that we're nuanced in that in, in our thinking and we're vigilant um that's one thing i'd definitely say one thing that finally comes to mind is that a lot of people well when you see the looting that is happening mm. um to remember that i remember i heard the quote was something like the looting is uh the voiceless speaking because mm. these people haven't been given platforms these people have just been r- oppressed and repressed and and this is their way of speaking so you know it was a combination of what Martin Luther King did, what Michael X did, as well as the, the looting in, in, in the States that helped some policies get passed. Mm. You know, some, because if, if you have no way to speak, you're going to speak, you're going to try get them to listen whatever way you can. Yeah. And I think that's important to understand. I'm not like permitting looting either. I'm just trying to say like, be empathetic and understand why these people are doing it. Yeah. Again. People don't have a voice and they're just trying to tell you, Hey, I have no voice here. I'm yeah. sick of it. You yeah. know? For sure, for sure. Um, and, yeah. yeah, for sure. Brilliant stuff. I mean, guys, I ha- if you've listened all the way through, then we really thank you for it. Um, it's been something that has been weighing on us and we've wanted to get this podcast out, but we wanted to do it in the right way. Hopefully we've done that. Um, and we will... We were already planning to anyway before this whole episode and uh, you know, this period of time happened, but we are planning to get people um, onto the podcast. You can maybe talk about it from a first-hand experience and we will continue to do so. We're not going to just, you know, we're going to keep true to our promise. Like Jim said, how far are we willing to go? This was one of the things that we as a podcast are willing to do and will do is um, to have uh, black people and maybe people who are maybe racist who have maybe converted um talk about their experience and we'll do that for as long as uh, as we can and as and as, as long as people are willing to come onto the podcast um and, and guys for anyone who's read this and uh, sorry listened to this and thought you know what i want to do some more kind of research on my own or whatever it may be get a bit more clued up on the topic the 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 possibilities are endless, right? There's thousands of books. I'm sure you've seen them all been retweeted um, and put on Instagram or what you can do, um, where you can buy them, what the books are. You know, there's interviews. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm an avid fan of Joe Rogan. Anyone who, know, who, who knows me knows that. But he, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he has he has great interviews with people like Daryl Davis, um, Dr. Cornell West, Killer Mike, Malcolm Gladwell. You know, and I'm, I'm sure there's others who I've missed, but those people, I mean, they're, some of them are three hours, some of them are two hours, some of them are one hour. But if you listen to those podcasts, that in itself will give you an education that almost no university course could give you. Um, then you can find on YouTube all of the other uh you know all of the other speeches and so on from people like malcolm uh, malcolm luther king and uh, sorry martin luther king and malcolm x james baldwin and so on and so forth and on netflix you know even if it's fictional even if it's fictional to watch films and to watch series which actually a lot of them unfortunately are based on truth and and real stories but to watch films and stories that aren't going to be easy viewing but will kind of show you kind of the brutality of our ways and and how it really negatively affects the human race 
Um, and if you do that, I think slowly but surely, we will all become more empathetic to this cause. And hopefully, if we all do that, then maybe one conversation at a time, um, we can kind of fight against the, the wave of racism. Uh, at least that's my kind of hope uh, for the future anyway. Um, all right, guys, brilliant. Yeah. Go we, on, can al- we can also provide some links in the show notes of maybe some organizations or some articles in the UK and Ireland that people might want to listen or read. About. For sure. For sure. Um, okay guys. So thank you so much for listening. Um, keep safe. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We've got many more to come out. So keep on the lookout for those, um, but keep safe and hopefully do the right thing. All right. Peace out guys. Thank yeah. you.